Welcome to another episode of the Grace Over Grind podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lacey C. Robbins of Robbins Nest Consulting, founder of the Everyday Business Conference, consultant to small and mid-sized businesses, and coach to women who are ready to use their knowledge, background, and expertise to build a platform and make more money. Hey, everybody. So this is a pretty different episode. Definitely different than what I normally bring to you, which is how to build a platform, how to make more money, how to operate from a place of more grace and less grind. But to be honest with you, I'm really just hoping I can make it through this episode without crying. You see, this has been a very different week, um, one that I definitely didn't anticipate when it was time to be heading back to the office, um, coming out of quarantine and all the things. Now, unless you are literally living under a rock, you have not heard about the murder of George Floyd and really the passion and outrage that has erupted from it. Um, It's funny, I was looking at Paris Eastley. She's a first lady. uh, Her and her husband are in ministry. And one of the things that she mentioned was, um, they're in Connecticut, I believe, was that, wow, what a special person he had to have been in the eyes of God for such a response. And I thought a lot about that. And I thought a lot about, you know, my non-people of color, my Caucasian friends, um, Caucasian associates. And I started thinking a lot about the why. Why does this keep happening? Why is this... um, you know, continuing to be a challenge. And so, you know, I, I went to what I do best. I, I went inside first. I I went into my introspective spot and started reflecting, got on the Peloton, worked in the garden and really just was looking for a place to start my own personal journey of healing. And so, you know, on today, I really want to share with you six ways if you are maybe, you know, a person of color, but more so this episode is for people who are not. This episode is for the individual who is white, who might be thinking to themselves, how do I participate in this greater dialogue? How do I participate in this conversation? Um, Who might even be thinking, do I have a right to? This episode is for you. So if you are a person um, of color who's listening to this episode and you know uh, a Karen who needs to hear this, please feel empowered to share it with them. And I want to start off with a story and um, then we're going to delve all the way into this episode. You see, it began in Tucson, Arizona, where I was born and I was about nine years old, fourth grade. And I was so excited because my mom said I could finally ride my bike to school. It was a pretty big deal, you know, because that meant more independence. And my school wasn't that far. You know, this is a time of neighborhood schools. So my school wasn't that far. It probably, all in all, thinking back, may have been a 15-minute bike ride, if that. And I remember my mom used to fuss at me because even though it was only like a 15-minute bike ride, yours truly would want to cut through the alleyways. (laughs) 
And she'd say to me, if you don't stop cutting through the alley, it's too dangerous for you to do so. You need to take the long way home. You need to take the traditional way home, which is on the main street, going on the sidewalk, passing each one of the cul-de-sacs until we got to our, our own, which meant, you know, yay, three, three doors down, I'm home. But on this particular day, it was a little different. You see, I had two teenage boys who were in front of me as I was riding my bike and pedaling as fast as I could because I'd like to fly, of course, right when I was riding home. And these two teenage boys, they wouldn't let me pass. They literally would not let me pass. And so I had made the decision, okay, well, when I get to the next cul-de-sac, I'll go around them. No big deal. You know, I can figure it out. I'm a problem solver. And I got to the next cul-de-sac and I went to the right to, you know, go around them. And as I began to proceed to come to the end of the cul-de-sac so I could hop back on the, the sidewalk and in my mind would emerge in front of them, they started running so that I could not get in front of them. They continued to block my way until I almost was walking my own bike because they were walking so slowly so that I couldn't bypass them. You see, these two teenage boys, they would then proceed to pull out a knife between them and show it and laugh as I continued terrified a nine-year-old girl riding her bike just simply trying to get home after a day of school. Well, I'd finally make it to my block. I'd finally turn right. I'd finally get three doors down and I finally make it to my door, open it, throwing my bike inside. So glad to be home only to hear them yell, go home, nigger, go back to Africa. This was my first experience with racism. A nine-year-old little black girl in the fourth grade. And yet it's 2020. And we're still dealing with the same thing. So as a nine-year-old girl, I didn't even understand what they were talking about. I mean, literally, I'd never had anyone call me the N-word. I didn't even know what that meant. All I knew is when my mom got home, I couldn't wait to tell her what had happened because I was still pretty shaken and very, very scared. It was the late 80s. Um, you know, we lived in Tucson. And looking back, I didn't realize that I really was the only kid of color in my class Miss Jackson was my first teacher that I would have that was a black woman, a woman, a black woman who looked like me. And I couldn't wait to be able to have Miss Jackson as a fourth grade student because I felt like I'd finally arrived. I have Miss Jackson. And for those of you who know anything about research, the research actually speaks to the fact that if a child of color can have just one, just one teacher who looks like them, male or female, does not matter as far as the teacher or as far as the child, they're more likely to go to college. Just one teacher. And if you happen to have two teachers, you're more likely to graduate from college. I'll make sure to link that research in the show notes for today so that you can read for it, uh, read it yourself. But here are six ways that if you happen to 
be trying to figure out how can I be a part of this greater conversation? What can I do? You know, I'm not a person of color, but I want to help. Or if you've always thought to yourself, I have to stay on the sideline, I can't participate. Number one is just realize that you cannot equate your experience to the Black experience. And I know that may sound pretty harsh, especially coming out the gate, but you just can't. You see, I can never take it off. I can never take the skin color off. It doesn't matter how often I press my hair. If I get caught in the rain, it's going right back to coils. Um, If I stay out of the sun, my skin tone will remain the same. So it doesn't matter how poor you maybe had, you know, were raised or brought up in a single parent home. It does not equate the research. Everything speaks to that the experience is different. So number one, if you can understand the fact that your experience will never equate to the black experience, that in itself is a revelation. And I'm not saying that as a place of judgment or to make it seem like I'm better than you, because that's definitely not my intent. But my intent in sharing that is so that you can better understand that when someone shares with you what it's been like to be pulled over by the police or to be called the N-word as a nine-year-old girl, that's not your turn then to share your experience or to say, you know, oh yeah, I totally get it. It's your turn to listen. It's your turn to use empathy. It's your turn to try to understand, which really leads me to number two, which is to educate yourself. When's the last time that you read mm, a book by a Black author? When's the last time that you made the decision for yourself that I'm going to do something differently? You know, there's a lot of ways that you can start to engage in the conversation. There's ways that you can show up for just radical justice, right? So here are a couple books you may want to consider, especially if you're ready to start to read and watch documentaries that join the anti-racist educational program. These are all good, good ways, great ways that you can start to educate yourself and start to show yourself as an ally to the Black community. So one is the documentary 13th, which really speaks to the 13th Amendment that still pretty much shows slavery is legal here in the country and speaks to this mm, school to prison pipeline that we're all battling. Did you know that they actually build prisons based off of third grade reading scores and third grade completion test scores? It's true. And another book you may uh, or a book you may want to consider is... um, Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow, which again details how the criminal justice system continues to perpetuate racist oppression. And so, you know, I'm going to make sure I'll put a couple of suggestions um, in the show notes to get you started. But one is Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility. And I've referenced this book in a um, future podcast that's coming, but it really digs into the communication breakdown between white people when it comes to facing the fact and talking about race. It speaks to why sometimes white people feel uncomfortable with talking about race. 
And I think it's an important conversation that we need to be having. So that's why number two is to educate yourself. Number three, and this really connects to number two, which is to talk to your community. Talk to your community. Talk to people who are around you. You know, if you're the one who's always like, oh, I have black friends. (laughs) Are you talking with them? Are you having a conversation with them? Are you listening to them and asking if they're okay? I have to give a shout out to several of my Caucasian friends, my white friends. I received a couple of um, text messages um, just asking if I'm okay, not trying to make it about them, not trying to fix it, but really just asking, are you okay? Realizing that, you know, they don't necessarily understand everything that's happening but they want to be there because at the end of the day, I'm their friend who just happens to be black. And since I'm their friend who happens to be black, they want to do what they can to be able to assist me. I think talking to your community also deals with starting with your neighbors. Now, Pastor Robbins and I, we live um, in a semi-diverse neighborhood. I'll put it that way. But the neighbors to the right of us, to the left of us, and across the street are all white. And so, you know, today, before recording this podcast, my husband shared with me how the neighbors across the street were hanging out with our neighbors who live next door, and they were asking him to come and hang out. Hey, come over, hang out for a bit. He's like, oh, no, I can't. I've got to go. I have other things going on today. And that somehow led to one of them asking, well, why? Why is all of this happening? Why are people looting? What is that about? And it really gave my husband a chance to begin to educate them as to the why. You see, it's not about the items. It's about being seen. It's about being heard. It's about the anger. It's a it's a powder keg that's going off. And that's really where it's rooted in. He let them know, like, I'm not agreeing with it. I'm not saying that it's right. As a matter of fact, at the time of this recording, we are set to go to a peace walk the next day, a peace walk where we can actually share our allegiance, our alignment, our desire to see change and realizing that some of that change begins in our own neighborhood with having conversations with our neighbors where when you're upset with the gardener because, you know, he put a divot in your grass when he cut it, please understand it was a tough week this week for black people. So you may need to show a little bit of grace. And so, you know, as you're having conversations with your neighbors, if you are the white neighbor who's ready to listen, if you're the black neighbor who's ready to share, I think the biggest thing to remember is that it needs to come from a place of care and commitment. If somebody is taking the time to ask you Why are they doing that? Why are they looting? Not that you are now, you know, representing all black people in America, but unfortunately you kind of are because you don't know just how wide their experiences are, how deep their community of diversity goes. And it's your opportunity to be able to share with them, just like Pastor Robbins did on today with our neighbors. I think it's important to remember that as you're sharing, you want to also couple that with ways that they can engage and to help because it all begins with the conversation. 
but it definitely does not end there. Which leads me to number four. (sighs) Okay, my middle-class Black folks, my upper-class Black folks, (laughs) let's just put it this way. We have to still acknowledge that we too might be coming from a place of privilege. Do not use being a person of color to avoid talking about privilege. Now, you may not be a black person and so, you know, you may not ever be called the N-word, but you might be somebody who's Latino or who's Asian that has its own anti-Asian um, or anti-Latin American racism sentiments and, um, you know, somatics that are used, which is parallel to the N-word, absolutely. And these examples are still anti-people of color. And if you're calling somebody out of their name and using these sort of racial slurs, it's just not a good thing. It's not a good look. And while we share the common experience of being targeted by racism in a white-dominated country, skin color targets us for violence in different types of ways. And, you know, I'm sure you saw on the news people of Asian American descent being targeted um, all during this COVID-19 virus, which technically still isn't over. Well, it's the same thing. We have to discuss our privilege. And so, you know, if you're a person of color who maybe you don't have to worry about your house being ransacked or being pulled over by the police, or you're not in those areas, or you don't, um, you know, patron those stores, or you've never had a challenge with the police. It doesn't mean it's not real. And it doesn't mean it's not happening. And don't buy into the rhetoric that this is just a ploy to keep us down or to keep us distracted. It keeps happening. And that's what the problem is. Will Smith made a quote earlier this week in which he said something to the effect of racism hasn't changed. It's just being filmed. And now that it's being recorded and it's all coming to light for people to see, it's becoming an even bigger issue because how can you keep turning a blind eye? And I think that that's part of the bigger, bigger problem we have to consider. The Sweet Life Social Drop the Ball Edition is back with a brand new date, Saturday, June 20th at 9.30 a.m. A two-hour group brunch and social held at the chef's table in the fifth ward, limited to 12 women and designed to help you create a strategic professional connection, enjoy an amazing brunch with a wine or beverage pairing of your choice, and pop-up laser coaching from yours truly, Dr. Lacey C. Robbins. Over the course of our time together, gain clarity on your power path and doing all the things, determine a power plan to turn things around and gain the confidence and strengthen your mindset with your power presence to drop the ball all while filling your space. Be sure to plan and join now as the Everyday Business Signature Box also makes its debut. You can learn more by visiting www.robinsnestconsulting.com forward slash social. And now let's get back into this episode. 
Now, I do want to stress that as we continue in this journey, this experience together against anti-racism rhetoric, anti um, or against racist rhetoric, excuse me, as we continue to work together um, in an anti-racism push, here's one thing that has to be said. And that is to my white counterparts, you have to let go of thinking you must be the hero. You just have to let go. And some of that might be coming from a place of white guilt, um, which really speaks back to D'Angelo's work about white fragility. But a lot of it and this desire to be the hero very well may be coming from a place of, I don't know, privilege or feeling like you have to. And there again comes that white guilt. So if you can let go of thinking you must be the hero, if you can move into a space of sitting and taking the back seat in some instances, this is a great opportunity to do so. If you can continue to show yourself as an ally, if you can speak up when you hear somebody use a racial joke or a racial slur, even if they may be in your family, all of those are little things that you can do And not having to feel like you have to put the cape on and be the hero for those in the community around you. Here's something that is number six. And if I did not mention this, I would be totally remiss. The biggest way that we can all fight racism, the biggest way that we can be an ally for one another is to vote. We must Get out and vote. Complete your census. These are ways that we can ensure that we're counted, that our community is acknowledged, that resources make their way there. When you decide to vote, you are actually have an opportunity to put in qualified people of color, to put in others who may have a similar voice or passion like you do. I actually have um, an interview coming up later on this year with Dr. Carolyn Bracey, and she is a Fiskite, um, and she shares her experience of being the first girl, a young teen, to integrate um, high schools there in Florida. She was the first, and she talks about how even after all these years, nearly 50 years, she still hasn't gone back to a high school reunion just simply because of how she was treated so poorly when going through that experience. She now is a living legend. She is an advocate for getting out to vote. She's also a delegate delegate for the Democratic National Convention. Now, politics aside, Republican, Democrat, Regardless as to what your side might be, independent, Green Party, I don't care. The most important thing you can do is to get out and vote. Because when we make the decision to vote, we can really start to change things. I still believe that it is possible. And yes, I still believe that change can come when we use our voice in a constructive way. I'm doing that with writing letters, with recording today's episode, with getting out and marching with my mask on, by the way. And even if I decide, you know what, 
I'm going to stay safer at home. I'm still going to put my effort forward by making donations to organizations who are moving forward and pushing the movement forward so that we can start to see change in our country. I'm going to continue to have conversations with my neighbors and hopefully educate them as to the why this is happening and why people are responding the way that they are. I'm going to hug my husband super tight every time that he makes it home because his life matters and that of my son. I'm so grateful that we get to do this life together and that on tomorrow we'll be marching together as well. So please remember this, the scope of systematic racism in this country, the United States of America is overwhelming and it's infuriating. I had a friend ask me, what was it like to live in Italy? What's the main thing that you remember? And it was so funny because one of the biggest things that I remember is not people asking me, um, you know, or not identifying me as Black or African-American. They simply identified me as American. And that was it. Race affects everything. How seriously your doctor evaluates your, your symptoms, your quality of education, the job you might get, or even the housing prospects that you might have. And of course, it also has to deal with the likelihood of you being harassed, arrested, or even killed by police, who in the vast majority of cases have walked away with immunity. Unfortunately, we continue to see this. And for my uh, fellow people of color who would try to argue me that argue with me that this is isolated or this isn't how it always happens or this is just a one-off or this is what they want you to think or to believe, please understand it keeps happening. And when something keeps happening that doesn't align with what it should be, that doesn't align what with what it looks like for another group in our country, that's a problem and that's called a pattern. We distinctly have a pattern here in America and we have a choice. We can continue the pattern. Remember Rodney King? We can continue the pattern. Remember, I can't breathe. That's not the first time we've heard this. Or we can start to do something about it. We can start to make honest changes and we can continue to say their names so that we never forget them. Because right now, more than ever, it's so important that we continue to keep people in the forefront of our memories so that when we are out marching, when we are writing letters, when we go in to vote, we don't forget that you're not standing there alone, but you're standing there with the memories of a Trayvon Martin, a Sandra Bland, a George Floyd, standing there with you. Their memory standing there because we have a choice. And my choice is to use my platform to do everything I can to start to see a change in this country. Will you join me?